This Coda Radio, episode 523 for June 21st, 2023. Hello, friend, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business, the software development, and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and then peering into the future, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. I, I, I'm always really grateful that you join us with that crystal ball. You know, I, just makes for great clips. I get to go and uh, find little pearls of wisdom. That's and, right. Gotta, uh, we're, we're Palantir approved. Did you uh, did you predict device script? I couldn't find any record of it, but seems like something you might like. So, uh, I mean, will JavaScript slash TypeScript run on anything? And will all things be rewritten to be assimilated into the JavaScript hive mind? Yes, right. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, so Microsoft releases a preview of device script, which is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's TypeScript for... Um, you know, your Arduino, your embedded, your IoT development. Uh, they have a fancy spancy Visual Studio Code extension for it already. My only question is why? Well, you know, those those uh, little devices are so popular and uh, TypeScript is so popular. It seems like being able to take your TypeScript skills and be able to build that down to bytecode. I guess I can kind of see the potential there, right? Like if you're targeting the ESP series of devices like the ESP32, you can buy a pack of those things for 15 bucks, and it's so approachable to start toying around. I mean, I could also see this being really popular in schools. I could see that. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, I just, I guess I'm trying to understand the, the profile of the person who's like, a, you know, a TypeScript web ninja and wants to do embedded in TypeScript. But I guess, why not? If you already know a bunch of TypeScript and you just have to do this, I could see it. Oh, okay. Think about our friends over at System76. Mm, true. They do, they do some of their cosmic desktop development in TypeScript and obviously Rust. And I just, I wonder if maybe, you know, future hardware that they might ship might utilize one of these embedded controller type things. Yeah. Being able to take that TypeScript skill set, even if it is a reduced set of it, and, you know, put it right on those devices. Yeah, just do a quick script. You don't have the baggage of working in a Rust. I, I said that on purpose. <laughs> Is there baggage? I think you mean the thrill. I think you mean the thrill and and uh, and invigoration, right? You just pure hedonic pleasure of working <laughs> in Rust. <laughs> Olympia Mike wrote into the show. He says, hey, guys, longtime listener, Jupiter Party member here. Still, though, unsuccessful uh, getting into sats into Alvi. So I'm kicking it old school with the contact form. Hey, Mike, however it works for you, man. We appreciate the support. He says, this brings me to my dilemma. I'm a developer in my early 40s, and I have been slinging PHP for 20-plus years now. It's been really good to me, and I do not believe PHP is dead by any measure. But I might be getting a little bored and wanting something new. I'm the main developer on a small SaaS that I built on CodeIgniter 3 back in the day. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's locked on PHP 7.4, which is end of life. There's CodeIgniter 4, but it basically is a rewrite, and I'd have to rewrite my app. I'm not a huge fan of Laravel either, which got me thinking maybe it's time to look into using something else. I've been captivated and excited about Elixir and Phoenix and teaching myself that stack. But is it foolish to go all in and move my whole SaaS platform over to it? I'm excited, but scared of that idea. I know the prevailing wisdom is to just use what you know, like we mentioned last episode. But something in me wants to shake it up. Am I just having a mid-career crisis? 
Do you think I'm onto something? Or am I just chasing a shiny object? Can you teach an old elephant new tricks? Would love to hear your thoughts on a big mid-career shift in programming languages. Yeah, of course you can, right? If you want to do it and you know it's going to be, you know, just a little more work than continuing on with the PHP, uh, you're kind of in a good position because your your current thing's end of life. So I don't know too much about CodeIgniter. I know that it's old. You know, I'm curious why Elixir, if you want to write back in. But if you feel passionate about it and you want to do it, by all means. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of the old Rails folks actually went over to Elixir. So and uh, the, yeah, the Phoenix framework. Yeah, I think, you know, with our our emailer last week, we were kind of like, ah, eh, don't jump around. Kind of stick with what you got working was our kind of takeaway. And I have the exact opposite takeaway here because you are in a situation where you're using PHP 7.4. Yeah. And there is probably just a lot better options that have come along since you were using a product based on PHP 7.4. I don't think it's unreasonable to kind of be looking around right now. I think you're going to be looking at a straight up migration, right? You're going to build it up from scratch and do a straight up migration, but you could build knowing that. Yeah, you're 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 in more of a position than of having to make some sort of decision. Yes. Yeah. And um, you know, if this is something that you want to stick with for a while and you want to be interested in working in it, well, I don't think there's any shame in also considering that as a factor. Yeah. Because if it's if it's if you're if it mostly is on you to keep this thing working or if it's going to be a big part of your job for a long time, I, I wouldn't want to build something. If you got to build something anyways, I wouldn't want to build something you wouldn't want to work with, Mike. Appreciate you emailing in, Mike. Also, whenever we're in person, you let me know. I'll help you get set up with Albie. We'll get it done in a couple of minutes. And once it's, once you're set, so easy. You'll be set forever. And let us know what you do decide. All right. Now we have another email from Alex and Alex writes in, hey, Mike and Chris, I'm a 22-year-old computer science student in Germany, and I've re-edited this a little bit for length, who recently was asked to take a job at a small sausage company. They're currently doing all of their billing manually, and they want me to develop a mobile app to streamline the process. Nice. I've never developed a full-stack application before, and I'm worried about making mistakes that could cost the company money. The manager wants to use a low-code cloud platform, but I think that'd be too limiting. I'd prefer to use a more open source platform like Flutter or maybe Ruby on Rails. I'm not sure if I should take this job or continue to focus on my studies. I do need the money, but I'm also worried about binding off more than I can chew. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, so there's a couple of things there. Yeah, you know, your situation, do you want to take the job doing it? Can you juggle it and school maybe? That's, uh, that's something you got to figure out. You said mobile app. I'm assuming you mean both iOS and Android. So you're going to be looking at uh, cross-platform solutions there. I would almost kind of push you towards an Ionic or something kind of more web-based. I know folks are having a lot of success with uh, the Flutter stuff now. Unless it is just like Android only or iOS only. Also, it's what do you want to learn, right? What do you want to do? In terms of your potential employer wanting you to do a no-code stack or low-code stack, I'm not exactly sure what that means in this context. There is the open source Parse, which uh, used to be owned by Facebook. It, it is very kind of quick to get up and running. There's Docker containers of it, kind of back end in a box. But with that says, you lose quite a bit of flexibility from just doing like, you know, your back end in Rails. 
I guess the other question is you say mobile app. Is it really a mobile app that needs to be deployed or can it just be a web app? And then you could do it, you know, basically in anything, right? Yeah, there's a few red flags here. And I think that's a great take. The red flag I have is he sounds a little like he lacks confidence here. So first thing I think you have to answer, Alex, is what is your appetite for anxiety? Like some people, they can weather that storm. You know, the clouds are not their, their thoughts. They, they are not the weather. They are experiencing the weather and they can get through it. Other folks are wired such that the anxiety really gets at them. So when you go into this, you're going to feel a little nervous. I think so. a red flag there is, is what's your appetite for anxiety? Keeping in mind that a few months into it, it'll probably smooth out. Second thing that's really the biggest red flag for me is if you're going to be responsible for building this thing, this thing, they can't be dictating what the platform is to you. They can have requirements, but you have to be the one building and making recommendations to them. And if they're not willing to have that arrangement, I think I'd probably walk. I'd, yeah. I mean, if you can get away with doing it as just a PWA, like a pure web app. You could at least do an MVP that way. Right. That'll save you a lot of heartache because one, I can tell you working with these enterprise apps, dealing with uh, MDMs is a huge pain in the butt. And I would, on almost every case, I would prefer just to, you know, P- PWA them something pretty up for their, and then you worry less about, you know, iOS, Android. It's it's just a billing app, right? So it's not like you need tons of like integration with the sensors or anything. Right. Um, and you can totally get the camera anyway in, in a web app. So yeah, I would take a look, but it's worth, you know, you got to figure out what you're comfortable with because if you are going to take the gig, you have to actually be able to deliver. Alex, it sounds like they want you though. So that's a good position to be in. And I wonder if you would be comfortable with suggesting an arrangement, something like they bring you on at a junior payroll because you just, you are open with them and explain, I'm going to be learning some of this, but I think I can build this. I think I can build it the right way, but why don't I take this pay? And then when I complete it, we'll do a review and give me the, you know, the full, the full wage or something. Like, I don't know, maybe that's not the right path, but maybe something you could explore there. What would make you comfortable to feel like you're giving them a fair deal and then communicate that to them openly and communicate the requirements that you need to be dictating the technology, but do it in a way that expresses you're totally open to their requirements and, and facilitating those requirements. You just want to use the right tech stack. Um, and then let us know how it goes, Alex, because I think uh, that's, that's, that could be a great growth opportunity. I mean, that's a chance to put it, your, your, your training to like real practical use, and it's a great resume builder. Linode.com slash coder. Head on over there to get $100 and 60-day credit on a new account. It's a great way to support the show, and you can check out the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai. All the developer-friendly tools like their cloud manager, their API, and the command line client that I love, all that stuff you use to build, deploy, and scale in the cloud, it's still there. In fact, now it's combined with Akamai's power and global reach. They're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources and tools while still providing that reliable, affordable, and scalable solution for you as an individual or for a business of all sizes. You can scale to millions. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, data centers are expanding. They're going all in worldwide, giving you access to even more resources to help grow your business, your project, your community, help serve your customers. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode, now Akamai. Visit linode.com slash coder to learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from the cloud to the edge and see why we use it for everything we've deployed in the last few years. And that $100, that really lets you kick the tires. Linode.com slash 
Coder. A lawsuit alleges that Copilot has been tricky about what is displaying. It says Copilot varies the output to avoid copyright situations, and the plaintiffs allege that GitHub violated copyright law by varying the output to avoid detection in the first place. They also allege that GitHub is violating open source licenses by using code without permission, and the plaintiffs allege that GitHub is unjustly enriching itself by using code without the developer's permission. This is all ongoing in the courts. We don't know how it's going to go yet, but uh, I think that crystal ball saw this one coming. Yeah, we knew they were going to get sued all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that <laughs> the, their approach is like a Scooby-Doo villain here. They're just like, eh, we'll like randomly change 125 characters out of this snippet. Ah, uh, this is going to keep happening. <laughs> it's like, uh, you'd be like, you just, you pull the mask off and it's the copyrighted code all along. <laughs> yeah, it it is. It's the Scooby-Doo of, uh, of code hiding. The only thing that's kind of weird is the plaintiffs, the judge has granted them the ability to hide their, who they are. Yeah. Which is really unusual. So I don't, that just makes me, that just seems weird to me. Makes me think it's Apple behind this. You know how they did that, like in the past, they both Microsoft has done this as well. They all do this, but they'll they'll like sneaky fund a, a plaintiff uh, to to help them like basically proxy fight uh, their competitor. It could be something like that. You mean you mean like our good friend Mr. Hogan? Yeah, there could be a lot of that going on. Uh, it might not be Apple, but that could be why. Or you know who knows? But it's actually a lawsuit just filed by Google Bard. I I feel yeah right to slow down. Chat GPT, it's like I feel like they should probably stack these because they're going to probably have to consolidate these lawsuits. This is going to be the first of a few, I would imagine. Oh yeah, you're going to have their competitors trying to slow them down, and then you're going to have the 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 freedom, uh, you know, the freedom penguins suing them out of a sincere belief. And I'm not convinced it isn't Hulk Hogan. The toothpaste is out though. Yeah, it's too late. These large language models are all over the place. I'm I'm running stable diffusion on the regular locally. I don't know if it's deriving it from copyrighted material. I just assume it's substantially changed enough. Um, you know, gray area is gray, but it's out there. It's open source and it's living locally on my laptop. I don't go to any cloud service. There's no API key. I just generate it locally and I, I can't see it. What are they going to do? Chris is like, there is no paper trail. What are they going to do? Right. It's just that this is look, the very definition of the toothpaste out of the tube moment. Yeah, this is this is one of those uh, you're not going to be able to stop the tide here. Yeah, we're going to get to a point where there's going to be all kinds of demands to be able to digitally prove things are the original and whatnot. It's going to be a whole cultural shift. It's going to be a whole cottage industry for consultants. Great. Can I tell you about this product called WorldCoin? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. All right. So uh, you and I, we've come to a piece with work from home. It's nice because it took. It took a few years of us experimenting, both of us, with different models with our business, and we've come to a piece. The rest of the world has not. An internal memo from Google has leaked, and it says, quote, We know that a number of people moved to fully remote work for many good reasons. As we all adjusted to the pandemic, for those who are remote and who live near a Google office, we hope you'll consider switching to hybrid work schedules. Our offices are where you'll be the most connected to Google's community. Going forward, we'll consider new remote work requests by exception only. 
also in this memo, your attendance to the office will be considered in your review. I just have to, to take a break here and say your your HR person voice is Chris. You you should, you need to do like television. I, I maybe I should do HR. I mean, <laughs> you should do HR. Like I know that I'm saying something super shitty, but I but say the, it with the, a smile. Yes, is is my tone not calm enough to reassure you that we're a family? Yes. And get your ass back at your desk. Well, this might be hard to hear. This is all business as usual. And we're here to do a job. Yeah. (laughs) So Google is going to uh, consider your attendance. Meta issued a similar notice about coming into the office to its workers. And um, then I think the one that hit closest to home is uh, your buddy, friend of the show, David Heimer Hansen. Oh, God. (laughs) He comes out and says hybrid is the worst of both worlds. He says that managers managers who are never in favor of remote work were using hybrid arrangements as a temporary measure. But the problem is, is that when you have a hybrid work setup, it wrecks the space for the office employees. It kills the benefits of both because you end up just everybody's people like will commute into the office and then they'll just get on a Zoom call to talk to the people who are working remote anyway. So everyone gets Zoom fatigue, even the people that end up in the office. Everybody has to make special accommodations for the remote staff that they don't have to make for in-office, even when they're in office. And David also says that because everybody gets Zoom fatigue, it also leads to half-assed work. And he says that the solution is to just commit to either full-time, all-office, or all-remote work. This hybrid has to go. I don't know, but then I would just say all remote, right? I just, I'm shocked at how much backlash there is all of a sudden to this. I kind of thought that these companies would sort of give up or figure it out. You know, I think it's too much of a cultural shift because the businesses that are born this way, it's a total non issue. It's just not even like we never at JB discuss the complications that some of us are in studio and some of us are remote and the, you know, that, I mean, we deal with different time zones. We deal with all kinds of stuff and it's just part of the job. And it always has been since the beginning of the company. And so it's just built in to how we run the company. And it just is a total non-issue. But then you see that these people that are declaring like this is destroying productivity. Uh, David Sachs, you know, VC and commercial real estate investor and co-founder of PayPal uh, is, is, he thinks that this is the biggest problem that tech companies face productivity wise is remote work. And then of course he's got all these examples and I'd like to hear from somebody out there if this is you, but he's got all these examples of people that are taking multiple jobs when they work from home. And he says, nobody's focused on anything and there's none of that sort of hallway chatter that creates connections and it's destroying productivity. And it's like, nobody can just kind of meet in the middle on this thing. And it's creating like these companies now that are taking like these stances to signal to their investors that they're on top of this issue that they've created themselves. Well, also, have you ever been to like a tech company? You see, yeah, sure. There's, you know, rows of desks and everybody's got noise canceling headphones on. True. Yeah. <laughs> they're all, they've all like huddled down in their pod in the, yep. in the cubicle and they all have their headphones on. Hopefully listening to the Coda Radio podcast. Hello, Dark Matter developer out there. Yeah, I. Uh, so it's hard to even say when this is going to get settled or if. Because I feel like we're going to, we have the sort of this 
ebb and flow nature to this problem. It's just we could just sort of we seem to keep yo-yoing back and forth. And you know, during the pandemic, these tech companies they put the especially like Google and and Microsoft and Facebook, they put the pedal to the metal on hiring because all of a sudden with remote work, work from home, the entire field opened up and we saw their numbers explode before they had to do all their layoffs. All those people were hired with the expectation of working from home. Yep. They're getting the deal changed on them. This is the business aspect of it, right? Like you get the deal changed and and what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to quit your job at Google (sighs) right before a recession. I don't know. Yeah, well, this is I'm, and isn't that the other factor too? They know they have leverage again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in other news, our man Sam Altman uh, is apparently been going around to world leaders, including the president of France. Um, he's been everywhere from Israel, Jordan, Qatar to the UAE. I don't know what the hell he's he's, he's meeting with world leaders. Look at this. He's meeting with world leaders to discuss AI regulation. He is on a mission. Yeah, the UK wants uh, early access to DeepMind and OpenAI's uh, tech before they release it to the public going forward. That's one of the things he's discussing with them. You know, can we just pause for a second and and acknowledge that what he's built is a large language model with a JavaScript interface on front of it that makes it type responses out like a computer from the eighties, and that. That sort of magic smoke that they've put in front of it somehow really has has really got people thinking they they're onto like Skynet here, and so by basically getting a large language model that can nail your interactions sixty to seventy percent of the time and do it in a way that looks like the computer's responding back to you like almost like a human, that parlor trick has opened the door. Think about this 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 guy who's a coiner who also now runs an AI company that got funded by Elon Musk, who's a lunatic, is now getting the door opened to all these world leaders to go scare them about the dangers of a new technology. Right, and to influence whatever the regulation is going to be such that it entrenches him. Perhaps we are watching one of the most impressively quickly built moats ever, right? Because in the past, you built a moat over a decade or or more, creating a product line, and an ecosystem of devices or services, like in Google's case, and that's how you built your moat with some solid, you know, strategic acquisitions that were really expensive and maybe a little risky. And you built this moat over time with the product. Then you got to a point where you could influence regulators and you could really seal everything off. That's the good old traditional way of doing it. But Samboy here, I mean, has, has this thing even been public for nine months, ten months? Like, like it's just this is incredible. The ninja moves and the fact that no one sees this in the general tech press. Oh, well, the, not, it's not even they don't see it. It's they're, they're fawning over him. Fawning. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I just. I think he might be a bad guy. You feel like he's a bad guy. <laughs> in my opinion, and I think he's a bad guy. Yeah. Well, I, gener- I generally think that about any coiner. I think they're bad people. I think they're generally scam artists and Ponzi scheme creators who are just trying to get themselves rich by printing money. And then you combine that with scaring the hell out of everybody by a large from a large language model that types back to you like an 80s computer. Like you just observing the facts on the ground here. My conclusion is that my I can't help but think he's a bad person. It, what's interesting to me is he is now I think he's the new archetype of if you are in college, you are at MIT, let's say. 
and you want to, uh, you know, do the do the Zuck thing, be a founder, all that good stuff. I think it's no more hoodies than I'm CEO. B, it's you put. I wish this was a video show. I have my hands in my thoughtful triangle as I'm saying this because you have to be very thoughtful and considerate and uh, say all the right things and practice at public speaking and interacting with egomaniacs who constantly need praise like senators and Congress critters and then managing them and then one-upping them. Like they would say, I'm concerned about this, Sam. And then Sam's response would be, you're completely correct. In fact, I'm even more concerned. I'm concerned that. And then he would like double down on whatever their concern was, which was just affirmating back to them exactly what they wanted to hear. It's brilliant. It's You're right. It's got to be the new archetype that uh, you start to see. It's the new archetype. Because, you know, I, yeah, we always end up on this tangent. But I think about some of the old tech blogs that used to be around or some that have definitely changed. And I don't know that a Zuck circa 2008, let's say, my ears might be off, would really get coverage there. Well, you, got a, you got an app kid? What do you get? Yeah, even, well, even the FTX guy, right? The, I mean, despite his just unbelievable, well, I don't even know whatever he was doing. He also gave money to the right causes. Now, he had a bad habit of texting reporters to be like, I give to the conservatives too. <laughs> but I don't know why he did that. I think he was just so sure nothing would happen to him. But like he was, again, like he was trying. And in a lot of ways, Sam Altman is trying to do what SBF was doing for crypto, right? SBF was in the hearings trying to get, you know, clean up his image and get the regulation that might have saved him had he gotten it. And if the money printer hadn't stopped, he would have been successful. The only reason we found out all of this is because the House of Cards of Crypto he built couldn't be funded because he needed another like $10 million to come in. And he just couldn't get the money together because the money printer stopped and VCs were pulling out of crypto. And so everything collapsed. But if the rates had remained low, he would have secured that loan. And he would have kept going and he would have built his moat, which is exactly what Sam is doing right now. And it's so silly because, yes, chat GPT is useful, but I was promised remarkable, startling, dangerous revolutions every few weeks in the growth of AI. And so far, what I've seen is a small subset of wealthy users who can pay for chat GPT have access to plugins, which just seems like more APIs talking to APIs to me. That's what it is. Where's the groundbreaking like, oh, this is moving so fast. We've got to regulate it right now. I haven't seen anything new for the last 10 months. Well, it's, you know, it, it is impressive, but it's effectively. St- and we're reducing its size. We're getting on smaller devices. All of that is really great to see. But at the end of the day, it's basically super clickbait, And they're acting like it's the, you know, the, the, the T2 Terminator come to. I, I'm not seeing the, you know. Uh, outrage by chat GPT generating some sort of fake information that's got everybody thinking something's going on. Like I just, I, I'm not seeing it. And I don't think this, I, I use this thing every single day. I use Bard every single day. I do find it useful for like summarizing large articles and emails and documents and stuff like that. And it's great for that sort of tooling. Like it's um really, it's like another form of scripting without a scripting language, just using natural language. Like I go in there for for this hybrid is the worst of the worst from David. And I'm not sure if I want to read the whole article or not, because, you know, I have a hard time processing some of his stuff sometimes. So I throw it into Bard. I throw the link into Bard and I say, can you summarize this for me into bullet points 
Start each bullet point with an emoji that represents the content of the bullet point and format the entire thing into raw markdown. And then it spits out five or six bullet points that give me an idea of what David's talking about. And then I decide, all right, I'll go read the entire post. It's useful for processing a lot of things like that. But it, that, that's like, that's, that's kind of it. It's like, it's, I'm, it's basically, I'm scripting on the fly and this thing understands what I'm asking for and takes the act and does the actions for me. That's really what we're doing here. Yep. Uh, you know how to get me fired up, don't you? <laughs> I think that went well. I like that. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to try it out for up to 100 devices for free. It's not even really a trial. You get it forever for 100 devices and now unlimited subnets while you're supporting the show. It's Tailscale.com slash coder. So what is Tailscale? Well, Tailscale is a zero-config VPN built for the modern era. You can get it on all your devices, mobile, desktop, VPS, VM, container, Linux, macOS, Windows, ARM, x86. You can get it on any of your devices in just minutes. You can easily create a mesh VPN network protected by WireGuard's noise protocol, building you the best VPN security in the biz with the simplest, most straightforward layout. The Tailscale client is smart. It only routes the traffic for your tailnet to your tail scale clients. In other words, put more simply, only the traffic that's supposed to go to your tail scale net goes to tail scale. Everything else goes out to the internet or to your local computers, whatever it might be. That means you can leave tail scale running persistently. So that network is always there. Like I run it on my phone 24 seven and I sync everything to my personal Nextcloud server that doesn't even have a public IP. It's all over tail scale. The other thing that's really powerful about that is you can start bringing in devices that don't necessarily have the ability to install the Tailscale software on it. That's where the subnet routing comes in. For example, I have solar equipment at home that I want to be able to check to see how my solar production is doing. And it's old firmware, right? It's, it's a hardware device. I can't put Tailscale on there. But I've got an Odroid running Tailscale headless at home, and that has subnet routing turned on. And it will route the request for that LAN for my other machines that have the Tailscale client. And it works so well for my laptop, my desktop, my phone. I can just go right to my device and see how my solar is doing from anywhere in the world. doesn't matter if it's behind double carrier grade NAT or anything like that. Tailscale just works. Lots of services are popping into Tailscale as well, making it just so smooth to do testing, to bring maybe somebody in to look at a project as you're building it out without having to expose it to the public internet. Go try it out. Support the show and go to tailscale.com slash coder. King Hat in the Matrix wanted to get a little insights on your hiring process, what you're looking for in a developer that might be joining your team, because uh, I think he's going to be getting to the job market soon. And I guess he's just trying to get a sense of what he should optimize for. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I mean, a lot of different managers will have different requirements. Uh, my biggest thing is I like to see what kind of projects you've done before. Ideally, if they're on GitHub, that's awesome. Process is usually pretty straightforward. There's a quick conversation, then a coding test, which is, you know, take home, you just throw it on GitHub. And then we go over the test together. It's just like a little, it's like a toy assignment, right? Uh, beyond that, there's a final interview with me and uh, another manager here. And go ahead and see, how we're, see where we landed, right? Does it seem like a good fit? I don't care so much about you know you have to use this you have to use that one of the nice things about being remote is it's kind of you know here's your laptop and good luck 
with that said, we do run a pretty agile, I hate that word, but you know, we, we try to run things as much as possible in sprints. Sometimes you can't do that if the, the work order is so big, but we try. Definitely a plus if you you if you're good around like the Linux command line. If you know how to actually write SQL queries, that's great uh, for lots of debugging things like, you know, PSQL. Why is my JSON not returning any users when I see users in the PSQL, you know, the database? Uh, yeah, so that's kind of it. You know, obviously good attitude, good work ethic, you know, not crazy, right? Uh, not just using ChatGPT to run four jobs at a time. Um, you know, it's funny, but we hear this a lot from the audience, and I know this from my days of hiring. Some demonstration that you are just inherently interested in learning this technology, talking about maybe the podcasts you listen to, um, the things that you've tried in your own experimentation, that stuff, a dem- demonstrating a curiosity, right? Right. Yeah, that you're, you know, some community engagement's always good, but it's tough. I mean, I know, especially for younger folks, you probably don't have like, a substantial project to show, right? And that's where kind of the test comes in. Or you, you know, you are interested, but I mean, I get it all the time. People are in, get interested in computers because they wanted to be game, you know, developers or they're just into gaming. So it's not bad. It's just, you know, what, why do you want this job, right? <laughs> there are many jobs available unless you, uh, you know, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but some demonstration of the ability to work from home in a way that's effective and not going to be like a super big hassle. Right. Because, because the context there is Mike and I've said this before, but for, especially for a small business, but even for large businesses, onboarding is one of the most costly things we do both in time and cost and risk. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I found a correlation between kind of, uh, being fresh out of school and being unable to properly manage working from home in an asynchronous way. I think that's just part of life, right? Yeah, self-motivation is kind of a key thing when you're working from home. So I guess demonstrating that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Boy, King Hat, you know, I know it's a very scary thing, but follow your intuition. You know, when I'm, when I'm hiring, there's just no expectation that you would understand or know our internal tooling. Even if you knew some of the applications or libraries or whatever, you don't, we, we all have this stuff implemented in our own unique way. So you don't, don't worry so much about knowing the ins and outs of every little language or technology and, and more so demonstrate the ability to adapt and learn and, and be self-motivated maybe to, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love getting into that stuff. I dig into that, you know, on the weekends or something like that. Keywords like that, that'll, that'll get you far. Just looking for somebody who's intelligent and can communicate and is self-motivated. And don't be afraid to say what you don't know, right? In fact, it's, it's really one of the most, I think, over all these years, bad situations I've had when I hired somebody was the young man just lied. And he managed to pass the test with the help of a friend and it was just, you know, to the point of like he couldn't get at the time we were using, I think, Ruby mine. He couldn't get his Ruby mine up. Hey, man, I thought we weren't going to sh- share my story on the air. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> so then he just ended up flying to France to meet uh, President Macron. And, uh, you know, he's now an AI. Right. Start WorldCoin. Yep. 
He might as well scan the iris of uh, Macron while he's over there and get him set up with his world uh, coin account. Oh gotta, my god, gotta have that. That's like a, that's like Bond villain level stuff. I just I know. It's so funny how it's just not really getting discussed the environmental impact of even more GPU data centers getting spun up on the live stream. We were watching this Microsoft clip. They're really proud. I'll maybe I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can find it on YouTube and. They're talking about the engineering they did to host all of the uh, open AI infrastructure and mm. just the hundreds of thousands of GPUs that they have running at absolute maximum 24 seven and in dozens of data centers all around the world. And that is not an exaggeration. It is hundreds of thousands of these NVIDIA GPUs. Um, and as somebody pointed out in the chat room, like NVIDIA really has Microsoft by the soft spot here because this whole operation is totally dependent on NVIDIA compute and the NVIDIA stack. But nobody really talks about the environmental impact of OpenAI, ChatGPT, and BARD. And something else that I came across on the BBC that I just thought was really gross, just in this sort of vein, is cloud computing companies are rotating through storage all the time. And for data security and safety reasons, even when the drives are perfectly fine, they destroy them. And it's become such a large industry because there's so many data centers now that there's these entire companies that all they do is go around and securely collect hard drives and then securely destroy them. But um, one customer in in this interview, the BBC did, they were shredding 5 million hard drives for a single customer, just one of their customers. They don't even try to check them to see if they're reusable because they want to just make sure that they're totally compliant However, data experts point out that the density of these drives is getting such that you can actually retrieve a fair amount of information from some of these shards. Uh, And of course, people argue that you could just follow certain standardization process and you could wipe it and you could cryptographically verify it is completely wiped. There are ways to reuse these disks. And instead, we're just shredding millions and millions and millions and millions of perfectly good hard drives. Yeah, they probably have a large duty cycle, but it's just uh, when when an industry has representation, you don't get to hear about these kinds of things. You get little reports, little leaks information here. And then when an industry like a small business industry or something like that doesn't have representation, you hear about all of the problems with the power use or the environmental impact. And it's just a part of way this whole game works. I'm sick of it. I'll put a link in the notes. I just, you know, it's funny how it. you look at the praise that SBF got and Altman gets now, and then you look at how in a different light you could, you, you could look at the, his little world coin project. You could look at the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially of GPUs that are running 24 seven to facilitate Bing GPT and chat GPT. And you look at the way he's manipulating these different world leaders much of them are too old to understand the technology no offense and uh it's hard it's hard to see how that how that gets covered in one light it feels like it's so broken now that the 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 system it's it's like it's unfixable like you're not going to see the verge covering any of this they're not going to talk even though it's all out there right one verge reporter could listen to this podcast and hear us going on about world coin and sam altman about building the problem and the solution, and they could write up a thing on it. it's all out there. There's videos of him talking about it. Well, they, I don't, I don't think it's ignorance. They're choosing not to. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's sort of my point. You know, a story we don't have in the show notes, but the uh, 
So The Wired had the story come out today. The U.S. is openly stockpiling dirt on all citizens. And they're basically, I put the link in the chat, uh, they're buying from data brokers and, you know, basically like credit card information to know a bunch of shit about everybody. Yeah, it looks like this is from a report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which was just declassified. And mm-hmm. they're buying up troves of this data from these different facilitators. I've heard this before, too. They they collate health records, cellular information. Like, you can just credit buy cards. cellular information, and you can just buy credit card information. Yeah. Yep. So that seems uh, questionable. Not great, right? I mean, not, 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 great. not great. Yeah. Well, see, if you had WorldCoin. No. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even have to. It would just be, like, right there. Yeah, it, it just seems so crazy. So essentially, it's privatized fine because it's totally legal for these private industries to do it. And then the government's just a client. Right. They would need a warrant to be like, yeah, this stuff is going to be going to be pretty rough. I could see all kinds of shady uses for this. That It, it makes it makes me it makes me really just want to go like all in on total privacy. And I have over the years gotten just more and more towards that direction. Right. Like I I really just have gotten more and more sort of self-hosted, do everything over tail scale, don't open anything over to the public. Like, it's just getting, it's just gross. And I, I hate to think our kids growing up in a world where everything's tracked from the very beginning of their whole life. Like, at least, you know, this stuff didn't really start happening until my 30s, probably, or something, you know, yeah. early 30s. So it's, uh, for them, it's a whole different ball game. A whole different ball game. Yeah. Hey, citizen. Well, we do have uh, a quick boost update for y'all because this is a pre-record. There won't be any boost, but... Please do keep the support up. Uh, we appreciate that. The uh, As winter sets in for the ad market, the members and the boosters, they matter more than ever. And um, I've been reflecting a lot on what I'm going to do as I kind of just see things getting tighter. And I'm going to fo- I'm going to follow the old saying that you make hay when the sun shines and when it's winter, you uh, rest up. And I think what I'm hoping is that through this period, we kind of realign the business towards member support and boost support and audience support. And then we work with sponsors um, on a more, on a more limited basis, I suppose like the, and that would just make the inventory in the shows even more valuable too. Mm. And it me- might mean that maybe I do less shows overall, not this, of course we keep doing this show, but um, like the other solution you see, Mike, you see this with all podcasters that go full time with like the exception of like Joe Rogan and a few others. Right, right. They always do a whole bunch of shows because they need to have a whole bunch of ad inventory to, to pay all the expenses of the business. And so then they end up spinning up more and more shows, which which is the model I had to follow. It's the model everybody follows. And it's exhausting. And it. Yeah, that sounds terrible. And then you end up making the shows for the advertisers. And it's just. Yeah. So that's I'm hoping that as things sort of slow down. This is a period of time for JB to kind of re-architect a little bit. So your support matters more than ever, either through the boost or through the membership program. CoderQA.co for the members, where you can support all the shows at Jupiter.party and help us build for the next 15 to 30 years. I mean, I'm going to go until the voice gives out or the brain gives out. That's what I figure. As long as, as, long as there's an audience, right? That's right. That's, yeah, why not? Or, or I say something really, really stupid. That could always happen, too. It seems likely. Anywhere you want to send folks before we get out of here? Uh, go to uh, alice.dev or at Dumanuko on the elephant site. I recommend it. I recommend it. I would bookmark it. Maybe set it as your homepage. You know? You don't, want to, you don't want to miss out on anything. Now, we'll be back to our regular scheduled streams and all of that. You can find the show at jblive.tv on Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. 
or just go to coder.show slash subscribe. And then we just get the show whenever we publish it. You don't worry about when it gets recorded. That's always nice, too. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week.